Um, it looks like most members are here. Second, um, <clears throat> I'd like to call this meeting to order, and I will take a roll so we can uh, establish a quorum. So, as we, uh, I'm going to take roll here, and then if you just respond that you're here, and then this is the same order that I will use when we have votes. So, if you be prepared to respond when we do that. So, okay, Edith Guffey. Present. Christina Gentry. Present. Nicholas Ward. Here. Dana Ortiz. Here. Trent Santee. Here. Erica Zimmerman. Here. Shannon Ori. Present. Bill Englehart. Here. Sarah Waters. Here. Monty Sokup here. Did I miss anyone? Because I'm just looking at the screen here. It's Thomas, but he's not here. What's that? Thomas, but he's not Thomas is on here? No, he's not. Oh. No, I didn't know if you wanted to call his name. Oh, Thomas. How? Okay, so Thomas Hi. is not here. Hi, Monty. This is Karen Willie. Um, sooner or later, I believe I will be the... Um, County Commission appointee to the AHAB board, but I, I think there might have been some paperwork that is still being processed through. So I can take whatever role you'd like or sit here quietly. Okay, Karen, uh, welcome aboard. Um, so probably not vote today because you're not officially on, but I would love to have you participate in every other way in the meeting as if you were. Uh, uh, and we'll just go with that for now if that works for everybody. All right, so we do have a quorum. Um, so at this point, I think we'll move on to the normal opening statement. I think, Leah, you'll probably be doing that. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and good morning, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is dis disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or to turn off individual videos to minimize distractions during the meeting. 
A few notes on public comment. When the chair calls for public comment, individuals attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Individuals will be called on in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. All comments are limited to three meetings. Thank you, and I will turn the meeting back over to Mr. Sokup. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well done. At this point, we will open up the floor for public comment. I would note that we have one written public comment that was received uh, that was part of the packet. So are there any anybody in the audience that would like to make public comment? Okay, we have one. Hi there. Did you have to sign in anywhere? Oh, okay. Um, uh, some time ago, I was at Lawrence, at the Lawrence DCF office, and I picked up one of these flyers. Has a resource list. Um, I don't know if any of you are responsible for making this list, but it's really great because uh, it has like all of the resources in Lawrence that you could possibly need. Um, but while I was at the DCF office, there was this person who came up asking for assistance because they were facing an eviction along with their children. And um, they said that they had a case open with like some homeless um, outreach program, but they didn't know who it was. And the DCF office was very unhelpful during like a three minute interaction. And this person ended up having to walk away without any help or resources going back to a pretty bad situation. So um, I'm not sure if that's something that you guys would be in control of in terms of being able to make sure that anyone who comes in is receiving the type of resources that they're needing. Um, but at least in the city of Lawrence, like because DCF is kind of part of this Department of Children and Families, um, maybe they could be a good resource to reach out for in order to, because I feel like a lot of people are probably going to that office when they're in this kind of crisis. Um, but just because uh, I just hope that my observation of that might help this board in the way that they can try and like figure out how to get those resources to because the resources exist. It's just about getting them to the right people. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's all I had to say. And just like, that's it. Um, have a good day. Right. Thank you for those comments and taking the time to come in today. Anyone else? No one else in the room. Is there anybody online that has any? Okay, seeing none, I'm going to close public comment. And the next item on the agenda is consider approval of the meeting minutes from December 12th. Um, open to any discussion or motion to uh, approve those minutes. I'll make a motion that the minutes be approved. Okay, so we have a motion. Do I have a second? Sarah Waters, KU, second. Okay, so we have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion of the minutes? See none, I will call the roll. Edith Guffey. Yes. Christina Gentry. I approve. Nicholas Ward. Approve. Dana Ortiz? Yes. Trent Santee? Uh, abstain. Erica Zimmerman? Approve. Shannon Ori? Approve. Phil Engelhart? Approve. 
Sarah Waters. Approve. Monte Soka. Approve. Motion passes nine four one abstention. Um, I do. I want to take just a moment here um, to. I, I think there's <laughs> maybe a misunderstanding of. Uh, if you were not at the meeting, that does not mean you cannot approve the minutes as long as you've read them and don't have any disagreement. So I just want to make sure that everybody's clear on that. Uh, just because you weren't at the meeting does not mean you can't vote on that. So, and that may not be the reason anyone would abstain, but I just want to make sure that was clear. Okay, moving on to the regular agenda items. Uh, first, I want to welcome... Uh, some two new members. We have uh, Nicholas Ward, representing tenants to homeowners. And we have Phil Engelhart, who's sitting here next to me. And is your at-large, at is that right? Blade, that's right. It's an at-large seat. Um, so I'm going to give you guys both an opportunity to say just a little bit about your background, you know, a couple minutes or whatever you want to say, just why you're involved. I don't need your favorite color or favorite <laughs> flower or anything, but... Something there. Sure. Go ahead, Nick. Um, so I'll real brief. I came to Lawrence, Kansas in 2006 as a student, grad student here. And um, while I was a student and shortly after, lived in affordable housing through tenants to homeowners. And so through um, living in affordable housing, ended up um, then working with the organization a little bit and eventually came onto the board of directors for a three year period. So. Uh, through that process, started to know some of the kind of landscape of housing in Lawrence and some of the issues that were at play. And after I transitioned off of the board of directors, I came on as staff there. And so I've been in one way or another interacting with affordable housing in this community um, since 2006. And um, I'm happy to be a part of this board and look forward to the work. Thanks, Nick. Bill? Hi. Uh... My wife and I retired here. Uh, we've been up here about four years now. Uh, I was an adjunct in the urban planning program at the university for a whole decade or more. Uh, I have a pretty long-standing interest in affordable housing. Uh, been involved in uh, Wyandotte and Leavenworth counties in uh, renovating and, and putting together affordable housing for uh, for people and uh really something that that's near and dear to my heart and i'm really appreciative of getting the opportunity to uh to interact with with you all on this topic all right thanks guys i'm going to ask um everyone on the board to uh just kind of introduce yourself real quickly and just who you're representing on the board so these two guys can uh have a feel for that and i'm going to go in the same order so edith that puts you first <laughs> Um, Edith Guffey, I am a member at large. All right. Christina? Hi, Christina Gentry. I am a member who has received public housing assistance. All right. Thanks, Christina. Dana? Uh, hello, Dana Ortiz. I'm uh, representing Family Promise of Lawrence on this board. Thank you. Trent? Uh, Trent Santee. I'm representing Lawrence Homebuilders Association. All right, Erica. Erica Zimmerman, I'm representing Lawrence Habitat for Humanity. All right, Shannon. I'm Shannon Alry, I'm representing the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority. Sarah. 
I'm Sarah Waters. Um, I'm representing the University of Kansas. And, and I am Monty Sokup. I'm representing Justice Matters on this board. All right. So the next item is to elect the 2023 Affordable Housing Advisory Board and Vice Chair. Um, at this time, I'd like to open up the floor for nominations. That is self-nomination or nomination of other people. I want to make that clear. So if someone has an interest, certainly raise your hand or feel free to nominate <laughs> someone else. <laughs> This is Sarah Waters of KU. Um, I'd like to nominate Monty Sokup to be chair again. I think, Monty, you've done an outstanding job um, and be great to have you in this leadership role again. Thank you. I'm willing to accept that nomination. I would second that. Shannon Alry. All right. Are there any other nominations for chair? And what we may do is, can we vote on that together when you vote separately? Separate. Two separate votes, okay. Any other nominations for chair? All right, seeing none and no discussion, I'm taking it. I'm gonna call the roll. So we'll, uh, this is voting for the, <laughs> this, this is strange, but this is voting for me for chair. <laughs> okay, Edith Guppy. Yes. Christina Gentry. Yes. Nicholas Ward. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Trent Santee. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Shannon Ori. Yes. Phil Engelman. Engelhart. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I'll get it right here eventually. Sorry about that, Phil. Uh, Sarah Waters. Yes. I'm assuming I don't vote on my own, but if I do, yes. <laughs> and uh, that motion passes either nine or 10 zero, if you, whether or not you count. <laughs> so, all right. So uh, thank you. I'm happy to uh, serve another term here. Um, I would open up the floor for nominations for vice chair. Mr. Chair. Go ahead, Edith. I nominate Sarah Waters for vice chair. Thank you, Sarah. Would you accept that nomination? Only because my friend Edith nominated me. Yes, I, <laughs> I can accept that. <laughs> okay. Do we have a second for that? Shannon Alry, I second that. Okay, I have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion or are there any further nominations from the floor? Seeing none, I'm going to close that and we'll call the roll. This is to nominate Sarah Waters for vice chair for the next coming year. Edith Guffey. Yes. <laughs> Christina Gentry. Nicholas Ward. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Trent Santee. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Shannon Aury. Yes. Phil Engelhart. Yes. 
Sarah Waters. Sure, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Monty Sokup, yes. Motion passes either 9-0 or 10-0, whichever is appropriate. Okay, so we have a new, uh, well, not a new, we have a <laughs> renewed chair and a new vice chair. Uh, thank you, everybody, for that, and uh, look forward to serving with you, Sarah. We will move on to the next agenda item. That is three. It's the public hearing and presentation of the draft allocation plan for the home ARP funds from the city staff and consultant. Wow. Virtual Kraus Company, LLP. And we will also be conducting a public hearing. So I believe Danny is on the line to talk about this item. I am. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Danny Walters with Planning and Development Services. Uh, today, we are bringing before you a presentation from Virtual Krauss Consulting Group, where they will be presenting to you a draft allocation plan for the City of Lawrence Home ARP funding. This funding is a special allocation in addition to our annual home funding. So the, the home funding that you guys um, do the um, the allocation for this is going to be a separate a separate allocation. Um, the city needs to put together their allocation plan and have it submitted to HUD for their acceptance no later than March 31st of this year. So um, I don't want to steal a lot of thunder from our consulting group in their presentation because I feel like any background I give you here, they're also going to cover in their in their presentation. So um, just a few kind of kind of side details about this. So. Um, first, you're going to hear the presentation from the consulting group. So that'll kind of cover what the funding is, uh, what we did to gather public comment on putting that allocation plan together, and then what the analysis and results told us. They'll then look at the recommendation for the usage of these funds. The draft allocation plan, which was a, um, an addition to your agenda today, was made available for public comment on Friday. And that comment period is open until the 24th. So the purpose of this agenda item is for you to first receive the presentation and then to open the floor for um, the public hearing. So staff will take the comments from today as well as anything received from the draft allocation plan. And then a final presentation will be made to the city commission on these funds at their March 21st meeting. So with that, I will turn it over to our consulting group for um, just some quick introductions, which I think I'm only seeing Ely on here. So it'll probably be pretty quick introductions. But And then also, um, Caitlin Dollar and I are both available as, as staff to, to kind of, you know, talk through some of this um, as they kind of conclude their part. So Ely, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Hey, good morning. Thanks, Danny. Um, and yes, Monique Kasten, our project manager, was supposed to join today as well, but unfortunately had a, a family emergency that came up, so she won't be able to join. But uh, my name is Ely Mathis. I'm a manager um, with Baker Tilly, Virchal Kraus um, in the Housing and Economic Development Advisory Team. So we do a lot of work with local government, cities and counties around the country in areas related to housing and economic development. And uh, a little bit about my background prior to getting into consulting several years ago, I um, worked with the city of Asheville in North Carolina, was a division manager there and have a lot of background in urban planning and um, federal grant administration. So um, really enjoy working with uh, smaller local governments um, like the city of Lawrence and looking forward to 
talking to you about what we've been doing with the home ARP allocation plan and uh, answering any questions that you all have about that. So I'm going to, uh, Danny, I assume you would like me to just share my screen to present the presentation. That would be great, thank you. Okay, let me pull that up right now and you all please let me know if you're having any issues uh, seeing everything. Hey, Ely, do you see me here as you also in his login? Uh, there, okay, and we've also got Baron Bell. Sorry, Baron, I didn't see you. <laughs> yeah, somehow I'm I'm logged in through a link through Ely. I'm also on the uh, Verse Cross Out uh, team, but I'm not Ely Matthias. I'm I'm Baron Bell. So good good evening, everyone, or good morning. <laughs> Thanks, Baron. Yeah, sorry, I I did not see you on the call too. I thought that was uh, a duplicate of me, but yeah, Baron is a. Uh, a sub consultant working with our team. He's he really is an expert on HUD programs across the board and has just a huge amount of experience. So Baron will be jumping in uh, to provide some additional context on the allocation plan. <clears throat> now I'm going to apologize off the bat. I am a little bit under the weather, so I, if I'm uh, got to pause for a second to get some water. I apologize, but. We're going to take you through just a little bit of the background of what uh, the home ARP program is and what needs to be included in the allocation plan and then walk through um, the consultation process that we did, what we were hearing from meetings with stakeholders and uh, information collected from the public, and then talk a little bit about the different components that are actually included in the draft plan that's available for viewing online. <clears throat> I'm sure uh, pretty much everyone on this call, I'm sure, is aware of the Home ARP, or excuse me, the Home Program, the Home Investment Partnerships Program. Um, that's uh, an existing program that provides grants to state and local governments to create affordable housing for low-income households. Um, in addition to the Home Program, there's the new Home ARP Program, which was an additional $5 billion allocation through the American Rescue Plan. And it's going through the home program, but it has um, some different uh, standards and requirements than regular home funding. Um, and it is focused on providing housing, rental assistance, supportive services, and non-congregate shelter aimed at um, extremely low and low income populations. Um, the city of Lawrence is receiving uh, just over $1.6 million through the, the home ARP program. So this is a list of the, the eligible populations and eligible activities under the Home ARP program. Um, the primary populations are individuals and families experiencing homelessness, at risk of homelessness, fleeing or attempting to flee domestic violence, um, and then uh, veterans and other populations that are in this category of um, at risk of homelessness or um, uh, where supportive services or additional assistance can prevent families from becoming homeless. And Baron, I don't know if you wanted, if you'd like to provide a little additional context there about um, the eligible populations. Yeah, it looks like you're. Yeah, I'm, yeah, okay, sure. 
Yeah, so the eligible populations uh, under the grant, we have those who are homeless, they're living in a place that is uh, un not fit for human habitation. Uh, during the point of the time survey, uh, point in time surveys where we got our information from for the ARP plan. Uh, then we have individuals who are at risk of homelessness, which that is defined by HUD as persons that have an income of 30% and below the area median income. And then they may also have one or several other housing or social determinants, such as uh, not, not having support uh, networks or, or families to uh, assist them from falling into homelessness. Uh, they received an eviction notice uh, within like uh, 30 days of uh, 21 days of coming to a, a provider for an application or they live in un, uh, uh, crowd, overcrowded housing uh, conditions. And then we have uh, persons who are fleeing domestic violence or, or, or sexual assault that comes under the Violence Against Women Act grant, which is a program that's available for um, all people fleeing domestic violence or stalking, regardless of gender, even though the name of that grant is the uh, Violence Against Women Act grant. And then we have uh, other populations or persons who are considered at greatest risk of homelessness. For that population group, their incomes are a bit higher. Their incomes are no greater than 50% of the area median income, or they can be at 30% of the area median income, which is considered extremely low income, but they also are severe cost burden. Severe cost burden is a low income household that's paying more than 50% of their monthly uh, income towards housing costs. And then in each of these subpopulation groups, veterans uh, qualify as a subpopulation for which you do have the ability under this grant to do uh, give veterans a preference or even a restriction to housing resources just to veterans. Thanks, Baron. And the eligible activities listed on the right-hand side here, there's essentially four main buckets of eligible activities, and then there's, you know, some subcategories under those. But essentially, that at a high level, we're looking at production or preservation of affordable rental housing, uh, tenant-based rental assistance, um, supportive services, which really covers a pretty broad range of service areas, and then purchase and development of non-congregate shelter. And um, we get this question a lot, but uh, to clarify, so when you're thinking about non-congregate shelter, you're really talking about um, not uh, an emergency shelter, but a situation where an individual has an entirely separate living space. Um, so, you know, their own private bathroom, own kitchen area and bedroom. Um, so non-congregate shelter rather than, you know, a larger communal um, shelter setting. Here's uh, the list of supportive services that I mentioned on the last page, and um, I won't go through each of these in detail, but again, really a broad range of services um, related to, uh, you know, homelessness and uh, affordable housing, um, you know, really kind of at a high level. Mental health services has been a primary one that we've heard a lot about. Transportation services, which can be, you know, public transportation options or even programs to do um, you know private vehicle repair and things like that? Obviously, additional case management services and, and legal services; those have been talked about quite a bit. But again, a really broad range of um, social services are covered under the program. <clears throat> so, in order uh, for Lawrence to move forward um, with receiving the allocation, um, they're required to develop a home ARP allocation plan. 
And this describes the proposed activities um, that the participating jurisdiction intends uh, to distribute the funds to address the needs of qualifying populations. Um, so we'll have to, the plan is required um, to spell out uh, housing production goals, um, the types of services that uh, funding would be available for. It just needs to, to detail how the funding would be used. Um, plans are due March 31st. Uh, this was announced by HUD um, just prior to the holidays. So it was a really quick deadline. Um, which has been a factor in how quickly we've had to go through with um, the consultation uh, process to develop the plan. So these are uh, the high level steps in the process of developing an allocation plan. <clears throat> the first two steps, the consultation and public participation process is what we've been going through over the last couple of months. Um, consultation really is directed at uh, stakeholder groups and uh, service providers that are working with the different eligible populations that we're considering for this for the grant and the public participation is a much broader um, public engagement component uh, for this project we've we did a, a public survey that was available for any residents in the city to complete and we'll take a look at some of those results in a minute but it, we had a huge amount of uh, public participation with this project um, then there's the needs assessment and gap analysis that we'll also talk about that deals with um, the point in time count information and identifying where the gaps are as far as um, shelter capacity and uh, housing needs. And then uh, we get into really kind of the meat of the plan, explaining what the, the home ARP activities are going to be that uh, we've identified for, for this allocation. And then um, the number of new housing units that we're planning to um, be created using this funding. And then finally, um, we talk about preferences and refinancing guidelines. Preferences um, can be included uh, to give priority to certain uh, eligible populations. And um, refinancing guidelines is, is an option for the funding that allows you to refinance existing debt associated with affordable housing units. Um, it's not required to do that. It's it's an option under the grant, and we just need to provide the guidelines for how that would be done if if that funding is going to be used for refinancing. And Baron, I think you were going to jump in. Yeah, Ely. So yeah. I also wanted to let uh, persons on this call know that is one of our tools that we use in preparing this plan and information that we had available to us was the uh, Douglas. Uh, County Homeless Needs Assessment that was just uh, released and approved in like June uh, 14 of 2022. So that was a good report. Everybody that participated in that, that helped a lot in trying to make some hard decisions on where funds should be allocated towards because it's just not enough funds to help everybody as they should be helped and they need to be helped. But uh, this, these funds are available nonetheless to provide housing to that population who otherwise would not receive housing. So the uh, 2022 Douglas County Homelessness Needs Assessment Report was relied on also. <clears throat> so the, the consultation um, process, like I said, that's uh, included meeting with a number of different agencies, stakeholder organizations across the community. And um, we did this through two methods. There were um, three different virtual meetings that were held through um, a similar platform to this, Microsoft Teams. 
Um, we engaged uh, a total of 43 agencies were invited to participate. We had um, 24 individuals that represented 18 different agencies um, that came to at least one of the focus groups. And we um, outline uh, that in the allocation plan. You can see all the organizations and individuals that participated um, as well as any feedback from them that was collected um, during the consultation process. Um, and then we also, after the meeting, sent out a, um, an online survey that was available for, you know, whether or not you attended the, the public meetings or the virtual meetings, you were able to complete the online survey and provide additional feedback. Um, but based on the, the consultation process, the, the meetings and the survey, um, the greatest area of need that was identified for this home ARP funding was the construction of new affordable rental housing um, and specifically a focus on um, transitional housing with supportive services. I know that was a big comment that we heard throughout the process. Any, any new affordable housing that's coming out of the market um, needs to have access to supportive services. Um, there was also some discussion about um, the need for additional non-congregate shelter space and additional supportive services, um, and uh, specifically about the tenants um, having legal representation through a pilot program. So definitely a lot of other conversation that happened on, on those calls, but really what kind of rose to the top was as the greatest need was construction of new affordable rental housing. And for the, the public survey, so we made this available to um, online to any uh, Lawrence Douglas County residents, and we received 918 responses, which is um, just through the roof. We, we do these kinds of projects a lot, not just with home ARP programs, but other local government projects. And um, that's really through the roof. You know, typically if you see a couple of hundred responses, that's great. So I just wanted to call attention to that. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that kind of a response rate before. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, similar to what we were hearing um, in the consultation process with stakeholders, um, construction of new affordable rental housing units really came through to the top as being the highest priority. Um, one of the questions that we ask on the survey gives um, uh, members of the public, the ability to rank different options, some of the different eligible activities that we talked about before. And as you can see here, 38.5% identified construction of new affordable rental housing as their highest priority. Um, and so you can see the ranked choice option. They were able to choose first, second, third, and fourth choices. So you can see here kind of the, the votes across the board. Um, there was definitely a lot of interest in seeing additional supportive services, um, uh, some interest in additional shelter capacity and housing vouchers, but really the, the top priority that came across was new affordable rental housing. We also asked some questions uh, to try to better understand the types of housing that's needed and um, this question here shows um, that 48% of respondents identified affordable rental housing as the, the greatest priority. So really thinking about more long-term housing solutions. Um, and then second to that was 43% uh, shows uh, transitional housing with supportive services. And then 9% identified non-congregate emergency shelters. 
So again, you know, this is really pointing to um, the vast majority of people that were answering this question related to the, the type of housing needed. We're really looking more at long-term and transitional housing as, as the greatest need. <clears throat> and we also asked some questions about um, gaps in services and the greatest need for um, services. And this was, um, was a pretty dramatic result um, of, of the people that responded to this question. 492 identified mental health services as the most needed service. Um, there was also a significant need for employment services and other services like legal and financial counseling, transportation services, but really, um, you know, the far ahead in the lead there was um, mental health services. And then I'm gonna allow, I'm gonna let Baron talk a little bit about these next two slides that deal with the, the point in time count information in the housing gap analysis. Sure, thanks, Ely. So according to the point in time survey, which was done, it's done across the nation in January, generally. And depending upon geography and climate, sometimes the point in time count might underrepresent the number of persons who are living within shelters and particularly the number of homeless persons who are unsheltered. And so we take that into consideration with the data here. The information in the point in time count just based on the count itself seemed to indicate that there was enough emergency shelter and transitional uh, beds for the homeless population. So if you look at the middle homeless population towards the bottom there, we had families, 58 families that were enumerated with at least one child on the night of the point in time survey. Adults only were 23 um, households, veterans at 16, and victims of domestic violence was estimated at 40. And then we have our unsheltered homeless, just uh, four families, which is good for lack of a better word. It's not more than the absorbent uh, 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 amount of families that are on the street unsheltered. We have 55 uh, households without a child who were unsheltered. So the majority of the unsheltered persons don't have children. And then we didn't enumerate any veterans or victims of domestic violence who were unsheltered on the point of time survey. Now, according to the uh, KU, the uh, Douglas County Homeless uh, this needs study and report. The gap was determined, and these numbers got transverse here. The number of family beds that could be used needed for permanent and supportive housing was 115, according to that survey, with an additional 24 units. And then for adult-only beds, it was estimated by one report that was cited in the study that 150 additional beds uh, would be needed to uh, provide shelter for adults only. So I think we have one after this. Okay, now this chart here is also important. So the first chart was about persons who are homeless, but the grant also deals with, I said earlier, persons who are at risk of homelessness and also those who are at greatest risk of housing instability. So without getting into the details, in this particular chart, we see the number of persons in Lawrence and Douglas County that are at risk of homelessness. And in this population group, at greater risk of housing instability far exceed the number of persons who were homeless during the point in time survey. And most likely from the data that I saw, 
uh, these numbers far exceed the number of homeless persons uh, in general. So the current gap analysis, and this information comes from data that's called the CHAS data, which stands for as an acronym for Comprehensive Housing Affordability Strategy. This data is really not published to the public, but it's made available to participants of federal grant uh, program funding. So we took the data from these sources. So for an example here, this data showed that in the Lawrence uh, area, uh, rental units for households that are 30% of the area median income, there were only 965 units that persons of that population or that income could rent. Uh, at 50%, of the AMI, there were 5,590 uh, affordable rental units. So when we get down to it at the end of the analysis, approximately 3,240 households have a match between their incomes and the rents of the units that are available to rent at the incomes that they can afford. Now, if I may, to give a bit more uh, context uh, of what we're talking about. So for 2022, a household at 30% and below median, this is for a single person, and this at 30%, they're ex uh, considered extremely low income. So in 2022, for the Lawrence uh, Metropolitan Statistical Area, if a household of one person had an income, an annual income of 19,850, that's extremely low income and at risk of homelessness with one or more other conditions. Uh, a two-person household at extremely low income is $22,000. $700 annual. For a household of three, it was $25,550. And then for a household of four, extremely low income was $28,350. And it goes up to eight, but we'll stop it at four. So it gives you an idea of the actual income of a household that is 30% and below median. Now for a quick comparison also to that uh, information, we have data on the rent limits for Lawrence, the fair market rent. So in 2022, for an efficiency, fair market rent was $702 a month. For one bedroom, fair market was $753 a month. For two bedrooms, $937 a month. For three bedrooms, $1,331 a month. And then four bedrooms, the fair market rate was $1,565 a month. So those figures there give you some, you know, context to really understand the need to provide affordable housing to the population in in Lawrence to add those, you know, affordable units to the housing inventory. All right, Ely, I think we can go to the next one. I think that's that for the data, the hard data. Thanks, Baron. Yeah, and I'm actually going to let me go back a couple of slides. Um, so, you know, based on the what we've heard and the um, consultation process through the surveys and then looking at the, the housing and homelessness data that Baron just went through. What's being recommended in the plan is to allocate um, all of the available funding towards the development of affordable rental housing. So I wanted to pull this back up to look at the different eligible activity options here. Um, and remember, this is the total amount of funding that Lawrence is receiving is $1.6 million. And I do want to point out, I don't think I mentioned it before, that this is a one-time allocation. So this is not annually recurring funding. Um, 
And of that 1.6 million, 15% um, is going to be set aside for um, administering the funding and planning activities. Um, so the balance, about 85% or uh, about $1.4 million is planned to be put towards the production or preservation of affordable rental housing. And um, as part of that, we have to identify the production housing goals. We have to identify approximately how many units we believe will be created with this funding. Um, so looking at um, uh, recent uh, LIHTC projects and some other estimates that were available, um, looking at doing between a 20% and a 40% subsidy for projects like that to add in units at 30% to 50% AMI. Um, we're estimating that approximately 19 to 38 new units would be created. So there's a little bit of a range there based on the level of subsidy that could vary depending on the details of a specific project. Um, but the idea would be putting up forward that full balance of funding towards production or preservation of affordable rental housing. Um, there was a lot of uh, discussion about tenant-based rental assistance. So, you know, additional vouchers to help um, subsidize housing. Um, I think really kind of across the board in our conversations was identified that even though there is a need for that, the, the greatest need out there right now is getting additional units on the market. And there was some concern about if we were to do additional vouchers or additional voucher funding, um, there's, there's not enough availability with the current housing stock for people to fully utilize those. So really, again, across the board, there's need, but the greatest need and the highest impact of these funding, of this funding source was um, going towards production or preservation of affordable rental housing. And specifically to add on to what Ilya is saying, what we've heard with Lawrence, and we've heard this throughout the country where we've engaged individuals in this, is that there's a housing stock out there, but all of a sudden it appears to the persons who are in need of it, the price of rentals units are going up. And we have a lot of landlords and owners of properties that are not accepting any vouchers for uh, rents. So that's a big uh, obstacle that was identified during this in a lot of our um, consultations and, and even citizen participation meetings, if you will. So let me flip back. Um, so before we open it up for questions and comments, I did want to point out these dates. So the, the plan is now live and open for public comment um, through February 24th. Um, so, it, you know, it's able for people to comment on it, um, provide input, and we can make additional edits based on that comment and comments and incorporate those into the plan. Um, then we would need to move the plan forward for review um, on uh, by the city commission on March 14th, and then um, ultimately have the plan finalized and ready to submit um, on March 31st. That's the deadline for, for getting it to HUD. And Danny, I'm not sure if you had you or anybody from city staff had comments about you know the upcoming timeline or. Um, uh, you know, upcoming meeting dates or anything like that that we wanted to clarify here? Um, I, I, I don't think necessarily. Um, I, I do think we probably need to clarify the date of that city commission meeting because I think we thought it was the 7th. So um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll need to 
we'll need to, to um, that. clarify that. But yeah, no, other, other than that, I think, um, I think that probably an important thing for, for this body to know is that, um, you know, typically these um, annual home allocations is, you know, they, they are coming to the AHAB for recommendation. At this point, we're not sure what recommendation will look like for, for this grant. Um, I believe that we have um, indicated in the plan that we will um, do a, a, a call for proposals. We don't know if that's a NOFO or an RFP, RFQ, like we're, we're not sure at this moment how it looks, but with this being very heavily um, stemmed in affordable housing, I think it's it's safe to say that, that you all will have a, a role in how this moves forward. I just don't have a definition of what that role looks like at this point, so. So, Danny, in addition to that, before we take questions, there is one thing that our slides didn't quite capture uh, in, in detail. So under this grant, you can do, and I, I mentioned this, under the grant, you can have preferences for certain subpopulations. So a preference, for example, of persons who are homeless, that's a qualifying population. The participating jurisdiction can have a, a a preference within their qualifying population for, let's say, persons who are chronically homeless or families with children within a subpopulation. And then there also can be limitations where you're going to limit uh, access to certain assistance to a specific population. And we did under this grant uh, now propose to have X amount of those 19 to 30 units or whatever that exact number was that Illy gave, we did propose in this uh, particular grant to limit certain housing units to victims of domestic violence. One of the things that these Kansas, the Douglas County homelessness study showed that uh, in interviews with homeless participants, uh, women in particular. So it wasn't a disproportionate need per se. It was like 51% homeless women and maybe like 50 or 49% men. But for Lawrence and Douglas County in particular, the percentage of women was higher than other surrounding counties and also the nation. And in that report, it showed that in addition just to the issue of not having housing, women uh, have to identify or be concerned with the fear of physical violence when they don't have a place to reside. And if they have children, they also have the extra burden of having to determine, you know, uh, safety mechanisms for their children. So for those reasons, we also carved out a limitation for uh, persons fleeing domestic violence or victims of uh, stalking. And then for the other housing units, we have preferences for uh, a single woman and families with children for X amount of units. Thank you, Baron. Um, this is this is Danny Walters again, and I do stand corrected. I I thought originally we were doing the seventh, but I guess we did move it to the fourteenth. I know, I know, I'm on vacation from the eighth to the thirteenth, and it was either going to be the day before I left or the day after I got back. So I guess it's it is the the fourteenth. So thanks Sorry for that. confirming. I, I'm looking down here as you're talking, trying to confirm that. So thanks for <laughs> making me feel better. All right. Okay, well, thank you. This is Monte Sokup Chair. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, appreciate all the uh, work that went into gathering that community input. That's amazing. 
that we had over 900 people respond in some way uh, to that information. So nice work. Uh, are there any questions or comments from the committee from the Affordable Housing Advisory Board? Yeah, that was me. I jumped in there, Monty. This is Christina yeah. Jen, a member who has received public assistance. Thank you for the demonstration. Um, taking into consideration the data you presented here, um, of the 900 plus participants, break, break, can you break down the demographics of those participating in the survey? And this is a question for the presenters. Yes, that's, that's not something I have um, pulled up in front of me. If, um, if you give me a moment, I can maybe circle back to that and, and give you a little bit more detail about the demographics. Let me stop sharing my screen for, uh, for just a second and I can do that. Yeah, you can take, this is Christina Gentry, and you can take the time that you need with that answer. Yeah, maybe if we could come back to that in just a minute, I'd be happy to dive into that in more detail. Okay, so let's let's we'll give him a little bit of time to look for that. Anyone else have uh, questions or comments on the? Erica has her hand up. Oh, Erica, I'm bad at seeing on the screen there. Thank you, Erica Zimmerman. Excuse me, Lawrence Habitat. My question um, is kind of after the plan, after March thirty first. What does the timeline for once this plan is accepted look like? For allocating the doctor dollars, and then just curious, what the likelihood that HUD wouldn't accept this plan, and that we'd have to come back and kind of adjust and revise? Uh, Danny Walters, Planning and Development Services. Um, Baron, correct me if I'm wrong, but we have five years or seven years to spend the funding. Yes, yeah, so funds are made available under the grant. Uh, a grantee has five years on the program to spend the money. But then there's also some wiggle room uh, with that. But then there's another, as a defense appropriation act that says no matter what grant it is, if those funds are spent within a seven-year period, then those funds have to be returned to the treasurer. So our expectations is that these funds would be spent way before that five-year period as we have people who are in need of housing now. Yes, so there's that, there's that answer. And then um, what was the second part of your question, Erica? The likelihood of HUD uh, oh, not approving yeah. it. Um, so HUD, HUD doesn't approve things. They only accept things. So what they do is they go through our, our allocation plan and they have a checklist. And if we're missing anything, they will they will send it back, and we will just have to uh, to update that. So um, I, I think so. HUD um, provided a training on how to do this process about ninety days prior to the due date. So training would have been helpful, you know, a while back. But um, as as I was sitting in training and then knowing kind of the process that we had been going through with with our consulting team, I, I feel I feel confident that we've we've got those those checklists checked where they need to be. So um, one thing to um, to also consider is you know say we have that approved and we, you know, for whatever reason, don't move on it immediately. Some other 
eligible needs that would fall under the plan arise, we do have the option to take it back and say, you know what, this this was definitely where we were at when we had this approved, but now this has this has kind of risen to the top. So we we do have some some flexibility in that. And I've got that infor demographic information pulled up if we want to circle back to that previous question. Um, so just to touch on a couple of the key points that we ask about. So the first question we ask about, um, what is your housing situation? Um, of the, the people that answered that question, 563 identified that they own their own home. 304 are currently renting. And then there's um, smaller numbers, uh, 25 who live with others who own or rent, three that live in a transitional, in a shelter transitional living center, four that live in assisted living or other group quarters, three that identified as living on the street in a car in a homeless uh, encampment, and then eight that identified as other. So there definitely are, uh, the majority do currently own their own home. And, um, you know, the next uh, at 304 was um, individuals that are renting. Um, we asked some questions about uh, how long have you lived in your home? You know, if you're, if you own the home, how long have you owned it? If you're renting, how long have you been renting in your current location? Um, and just uh, kind of a rough breakdown, about three quarters have lived in, or have owned their home for um, less than five years. And um, for the renting, we're, we're kind of hitting more of our target population there. So 27% have, have rented in that location for one year or less. And then 30% have rented in that location for one to two years. And then 24% have been running in that location for three to five years. So that's more of our, the population we're kind of targeting here rather than people that have been in a, a stable housing situation in the same location for many years. Um, as far as age, we're really kind of seeing across the board in the responses here. Um, let me see, let me try to share my screen again and see if, it's easier to look at this data. So as you can see here, really age across the board, um, pretty significant response rate for under 25. Typically when we're doing these kind of surveys, we don't get a huge response from, from that age group, um, even though it's it's small relative to the entire population that we've surveyed. It's, it's actually kind of significant from what we've seen doing these in other places. And then also similarly with the 65 and over, that's a population that we typically don't see a huge response rate from when we're doing these kind of surveys. So even though it's, it's a similar number or similar percentage of the total population we're hearing from, that's actually a pretty significant response. Um, household income, we are definitely seeing a lot uh, from households that are making have a higher income bracket but then we're also seeing a pretty good distribution from um, houses and, and lower incomes. Uh, we ask about household size and information on race and ethnicity. Um, <clears throat> the 
the largest responses that we're seeing are from one and two person households. And um, most of the responses have been from individuals that identify as white. And um, the vast majority are identifying as non-Hispanic related to ethnicity. So sorry, that was kind of a quick summary there, but were there any specific questions about demographic information? This is Christina, member who has received housing assistance. No, um, I, I'm, I'm actually very grateful to hear that 25 and older are, are answering to these surveys. I think it's really relevant. And um, the breakdown that you gave me was in, in answer to my question. Um, is that slide available embedded into the presentation so we can take a look back at it um, and some of this data so they can just kind of continue to see who is responding and just kind of get this live uh, understanding of our county's responses and replies? Um, I believe this, uh, I need to look back. I believe the responses are included in the allocation plan, but we would be happy to provide um, a copy of this uh, to the board just to make it a little bit easier to, to get access to that data. We can certainly share that with Danny and staff. Also, during our meetings with stakeholders, uh, we ask stakeholders or groups that provide services to the target population groups to you know make their uh, constituents aware of the of the survey. So, a lot of times with the digital divide, people who are most in need are not having access to you know broadband access where they can even do surveys like this you know online. So, um, there's you know, probably work to be done across the nation in trying to get, you know, harder to reach populations to participate uh, in surveys of this kind. All right. Thank you for all those comments and questions. I'm going to wrap this up unless there are any last burning questions. Uh, and we'll I move on. I to... had a question. Okay, let's go. Uh, and I, I don't know if I can get it out coherently, but... If, if we go to the point where there are actually units on the ground or when we go to that point, will there be anything in the referral system or the preference system that would uh, tend to mitigate people who have cri prior criminal histories from being able to take advantage of these new units? Uh, I'll, Daniel, I'll let you, uh, Danny, add to that. But in our allocation plan, we are using the process of the current continuum of care. And there's nothing written in the plan that mentions any uh, demerits, if you will, for persons who have a criminal uh, background. But Danny, I'll let you add to that. Make public comment on Yeah, this is Danny uh, Walters. I... I don't know that I have an answer at this moment for you on that. Um, since this is, we're just in the allocation plan place. Um, I think that that um, kind of like Baron mentioned, that being a public comment is something that that we will definitely add to um, add to the submission for HUD and and keep that in consideration when we're going through the process of kind of how this looks on that on that back end. Um, we we will be using the coordinated entry system, so there will be a uh, um, essentially a vulnerability assessment, and um, 
So, so yeah, I think more to come on that is, is the best I can do at this moment in time. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So, uh, if no other comments from the advisory board, I'm going to open this up for public comment at this time. If there's any public comment, uh, please make yourself known. All right, going once, going twice. All right, I'm going to close public comment. And I think uh, that would wrap up this agenda item, unless I've missed something, Leah, nope. that I need to do. I think Danny unmuted. Or Danny. Yeah, no, I, this is Danny Walters. I, I would just say thank you. Thank you all very much for your comments and um, for um the participation here, we we really appreciate it, and we will um, definitely kind of give you an update after it has made its way through city commission, and when we have it submitted, just so we can keep track of it. And and like I said, there's likely more conversations to to come about kind of how how does it look like to have the AHAB involved in in what we're doing here. So we we really appreciate everything from you guys. So thank you. Thank you, Danny, and. Uh everyone on that team there. All right, we're going to move on to agenda item number four. Uh, that is scheduled the 2023 Affordable Housing Advisory Board Goal Setting Retreat. Um, I believe Leah sent out a uh, some kind of poll on dates, and it appears that March 7th is the date that fit most people's schedules, and there were two times uh, for that. 12 to 4 and 2 to 6 were the two times that matched most people's schedules. So we need to decide on a date. And then the second thing we'll need to talk about is whether we do that in person or on Zoom. Uh, the consultant that we have that's going to help us facilitate has asked that we not do a hybrid meeting because of the difficulty of doing a hybrid uh, collaboration. So uh, be thinking about that. But um, does anyone, I guess we need to select between noon to four and two to six. What day of the week is that? Uh, March 7th. I believe it's I don't know Monday. Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. All right. Anybody have a preference, strong preference for either one? I'd prefer 12 to 4 if nobody else cares. All right. Uh, this is Nicholas Ward. I would also go with 12 to 4. Okay. All right. I don't know that we have uh, to have a motion or anything to do this. If uh, I guess I want to gain consensus on March 7th, 12 to 4, any objection to that date and time? Okay, seeing none, we're going to schedule it for noon to four on March 7th. Now we need to decide whether we're going to meet in person or uh, meet on Zoom. I would tell you that my preference is to meet in person. Uh, I just think the dynamic of the kind of conversation we need to have around goals uh, works better in that format than on Zoom. But anyone object 
to meeting in person. All right, seeing no objections. What great cooperation today. <laughs> this is not normal for this group. <laughs> I am impressed. So, uh, okay, so we are scheduled for in-person March 7th from noon to four uh, in this room, Leah, or we have a different room. Uh, this is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. I'll need to check room availability okay. and I'll update be the board. Somewhere here at City Hall yeah. in general. All right. Thank you. Uh, the next item is receive the review of the 2022 Affordable Housing Advisory Board Annual Report, which was attached. And I believe that Leah did a nice summary uh, of the of the kind of the basic content so we don't go through the whole report. So if you would take it from there, Leah, I'd really appreciate that. Thank you, Monty. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. I did just do a very high-level overview of the annual report and the full report is of course linked in the agenda as well. So this uh, very short three three page summary. So this is a list of all of the projects that um, were supported through the affordable housing trust funds in 2022. These are the 2022 outputs. So you can see um, how, um, how much was awarded in trust funds in 2022, created 13 new permanently affordable single family units, provided rental assistance to prevent homelessness for 174 households, provided mediation for two landlords and tenants and landlords incentives for three households, accessibility modifications for five households and provided critical home repair to 10 households. And then here are the key financials for 2022. And then if you review the full annual report document, you can see the stories and um, some additional information regarding action that they have took and progress towards our goals. Any questions about the annual report? Yeah, Leah, I have a couple of questions. Oh. This is Shannon with the Housing Authority. Um, so on page 11 and 12 of the actual report, which is basically a report out on, on our goals, um, I was wondering if in ongoing goal two, which is the leveraging goal, if we don't have data where we could say how we've done on that, um, because I know every application puts that in there. And so it would be great if we could report out on how we're doing on that. Um, and then on the, <clears throat> on um, short-term goal three, a lot of the other goals kind of have the time frame, but this 24 units, um, I think that's probably, the total we've had in the last several years, not in one year. And in all these progresses, I think it would be really important if you would put from 2019 to 2022, or if we didn't start that in tw until 2020 and we put it into, uh, you know, some sort of a time frame. because otherwise I think it kind of looks like we're saying we did 24 last year, which I don't believe is accurate. And then on short-term goal four, 
that 428 households, I would really like you to break that up between vouchers and rental assistance because those are two very different costs. The vouchers are for 24 months and that's a different product, I guess, if you wanna say it that way, than rental assistance through HSC. Equally important, but, but probably not good to be reported in the same line. Thank you, Shannon. That's a really good point. I noted in the last report we had on the thing, they called it TBRA and they called it vouchers <laughs> interchangeably. And it's I, we know it's not. And uh, that's something we probably ought to try to do a little bit of better job of clarifying. All right. This is Leah Rosalind. Thank you, Shannon. Um, can I, uh, just a couple of points of clarification. So, um, um, so Shannon, I, I will likely need to touch base with you offline um, so that I can accurately report um, the voucher number. Um, and then in terms of adding the dates that we're reporting progress towards goals, thank you for that feedback. Are you, are you okay with just having that more clear up in the beginning or do you think it needs to be stated under every goal? Well, I'm not sure everything started in 19. You know, like, I'm not sure Independence Inc. started that. Like, I guess that is kind right. of my thought process is not, we didn't get that first couple of years. We didn't get all of these goals, some sort of applicant and funding. And so you might not want to report it as that whole time frame for the parts that didn't actually start then. Okay. I will clarify that. Thank you. And then there was one additional, I, I apologize. What was the first, what was your first, it was goal two. Oh yeah. Um, so this is actually under the leverage ratio. So are you looking for an average or what are you thinking or or report out what the average was for 2022 or what the leverage ratio for every funded project for 2022 is or it varies so greatly depending on type of project oh you're muted shannon it, on the units that we funded to build every one of those applications has that leveraging so um, just Okay, so so you're interested. Yeah, because it's it's talking about to create more units of affordable rental housing. So I was interpreting that to be, you know, like those are two different, very different things. And so maybe you report them differently. Um, uh, but but we all put that, you know, leverage in there. Um, and then I'm gonna guess that. I'm hoping you get a report back when, like, I know you have all of our reports in here about did did that actually happen, um, and that you that we can. I mean, and and let me just tell you, I'm like my eye is going towards we're going to have to ask the voters to reauthorize this tax in not that far future. And what I would like us to have is documents 
that we have kept ongoing where we can pull this data out and say, our average leverage was X and we've created Y number of units of this kind and this many vouchers and this many people we gave rental assistance to to help from getting evicted. And that we're using these annual reports to really collect that data so we don't have to go back um, and try to re-find that data once this, you know, once this tax is back up. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm hoping that we can do in this section going forward and really capture what we're doing because in many of these, we're doing way more than we thought we could do. Okay, that's helpful. So for the um, just board's information, so it sounds like um, there's interest in having the average for each category. So an average for affordable rental housing, an average for home ownership housing, and an average for the leverage for the supported services. We'll have to make we'll have to figure out where like the rehab and accessibility modifications come in. And so that's the average is going to vary greatly depending on types of projects. And it'll, it'll be good for the AHAB to see just sort of a heads up on that. This is Monty Sokup chair. Um, I'm thinking we need to think about how, what, as we go to get the trust fund, the funding renewed, I think this is where Shannon was going, what we want to report out to support the work that's been done. So if we said, you know, on average, new units that were constructed were subsidized, you know, were leveraged, you know, six to one or eight to one, we would want to say that. Right. And if, yeah, so whatever it is that we, so I think the thing that maybe do here is from uh, our perspective is to look at this backwards and think what what is the outcome we want to have or what do we want to report that's going to support the work well and then go let's make sure we have the facts that back that up and how we gather those facts and data is that fair is what i'm hearing okay so let's think about that leah and and uh can i can i make, can yeah, I make a ahead. comment or two on that uh Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, we'll flip. can we let Dana? Dana, oh, I'm sorry. Dana, you got your hand up. Why don't you go? I'm I'm so sorry. I'm terrible at listening hands up, and then all then the Phil will go after that. No worries. Thank you, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Um, I concur with this conversation. I think the more granularity and actual guidance in the progress that we put into this report, the easier it would be for us to one, pull the data to do what Shannon is indicating, have, have it before us before the next vote. But also when we're out in the public talking about this very complicated um, issue of affordable housing, it would help us be educated too. We could have a, as, as board members, we could have a ready um, document that we can go in and look at and refresh because I can imagine it's complicated for me to understand and, and I do this work throughout the year so to see it more differentiated in the report even to the point of like the ongoing goal number two leveraging um, obviously we're not 
building all these units from just the sales tax. It's complicated to find the funding in any development project. So having a bit of that differentiation in this as a progress uh, statement, I think would be useful to the public and, and for us to understand things. So it kind of serves a, a multitude of purposes, I believe, to have more differentiation in the data and the progress of these goals. Thank you. Phil, go ahead. Uh, Phil Englehart, I, I agree with that differentiation point uh, a whole bunch. Uh, if I could put on my statistician hat here for just a second, though, and based on what Leah had said uh, earlier, the the notion that a an average quote unquote is is the appropriate approach to analyzing the data or even summarizing the data given that you have this broad range and leverage ratios and that different categories have, you know, quite different ranges and ratios, that, that some careful look at, at the individual members within each subcategory to provide an appropriate overall representation is, is, could, could well be a, a profitable exercise. If, if that makes any sense at all, uh, you know, that's that's what I think. Thanks. Any other uh, comments on the report? All right. Seeing none, uh, we need to have a motion to approve the Affordable Housing Advisory Board annual report, or I guess if, uh, if we... I guess we need to decide if we want modifications before we approve it or if we want to approve it and note that the following year we're going to, you know, try to add this granularity. Uh, Dana, I see your hand up. I can see that hand. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. I think that the the um, things we've been discussing here, I'd like to see them in this report. And I think it's a little more complicated for city staff to just turn that around without us having a second look. So I would I would propose that we ask those changes to be made and that we look at them at a, at a subsequent meeting. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. That is fine if, if that's obviously, if that's what the AHAB chooses to do. The report is due to the City Commission in March. And so I would ask that if the AHAB would like to take a second look and then vote next month, that all members please carefully review the annual report ahead of the meeting, provide any additional feedback or changes ahead of the other meeting so that I can make those changes <laughs> before the meeting. Um, they can be incorporated and then we can just have a straight up or down vote that would be incredibly helpful to the process. I chime in. Yeah. Nicholas Ward here. I wanted to chime in with one other thing. Um, I think the, as Phil mentioned, that data will be really helpful. And then on the other end of that, if we find out that um, improvements for accessibility, for instance, if that one doesn't have a significant match, if we're not seeing that in that data, which I think is the case, of course, we still have that as one of our goals. Um, that we're meeting and doing a certain number of those annually or overall, and that <clears throat> instead of showing that we shouldn't be funding that because there's not a match, I think it also shows that there's a, there's a 
need for funding for that because there's not a match for that work and it's not happening otherwise. So we can be looking at it both ways right? Uh, when we receive that data. That's a good point, Nicholas. All right. So um, I guess I would try to gain consensus that uh, we take Dana's recommendation and let staff revise the report accordingly to the notes from today's minutes or notes and that uh, we get it sent back out and everybody review it and we put it on our agenda for approval in March. Consensus on that? Anybody object to that? Okay, seeing no objections and seeing a few consensus motions, uh, we're gonna table that till next month, uh, pending review. Um, item six, review 2022 affordable housing trust fund recipient year end reports. Um, I would like to go by it through these one by one um, and open it up for comment. Uh, I wanna note that we have about 35 minutes. This is our last uh, regular action item on the agenda. We do have some reports at the end, so uh, we do need to probably try to get through this in 15 to 20 minutes, if that's possible. I don't want to cut anybody short, but uh, Habitat for Humanity 20... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, this is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I apologize for interrupting. I might suggest that the AHAB will want to reserve some time for item D4. It is listed as an update, but I'm I'm wondering if there might be a little discussion and questions around that. Okay. So, okay. Thank you for that note. I did. I missed that that item. Realizing it had some time associated with it. Um. All right. So let's try to get through this. If there are certainly comments or questions, we want to uh, pick those up. So, Habitat for Humanity 2022 Year End Report. Any comments? All right, I'm going to make one comment, and that was that I noted in the report that, and, and this goes to reporting again, 10, 10 homes were modified with 12 repairs, but it impacted 73 people. I think that's a significant fact uh, that isn't going to really show up in our data very well if we're collecting how many homes we impacted. So um, again, this just lends to the complexity of this work and, and what goes on. Okay, any other comments on Habitat for Humanity? All right, Housing Stabilization Collaborative. Any comments on that? This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I apologize again for interrupting. I did want to note that um, all of their representatives here from all of these organizations, if they have does have questions. Yeah. Um, I'm going to. Again, I went through these. I just made a few little notes, and I just wanted to say, you know, 179 households impacted. That's amazing that we're having that kind of impact. Um, I'd also note that not all of the funds were used in this year period, uh, but they will continue to be used for those purposes. Anything else? All right, I'm moving on. Uh, Independence Inc. 2022 year end report. Um, again, they had five house. I'm going to just comments. <laughs> 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 they had five households impacted. Um, they are carrying over most of the funding. 
because some of their funding, they had uh, other funds become available. So this funding will continue to be used. And I had asked Lee about that earlier. And there is not, a, there was not a, like a deadline on the time to use the funds, but they have to continue to report to us so long as the funds are being used. Uh, so that was a question I had about, uh, you know, funds that weren't used over a certain period of time. So any other comments on that? I'd also say that they had some really great photos in their thing of the work that they've been doing and uh, the houses that, the, you know, the ramps and the showers and all that, that they've been doing. So a uh, really nice report that they had. Okay, moving on. Tenants to homeowners, Harper 7. Any comments on that? Okay. I would just note that the, they purchased the house and the lot and they're doing, they have a lot of site assessment work that has kind of slowed that down. Um, and we hope to see houses, you know, going up in the near future. Uh, I would say the same for uh, Michigan six. Uh, we've got the lot, the house and a lot purchased and really uh, site preparation work going on, but hopefully we'll soon see houses being erected is that fair nicholas yeah that's absolutely fair um there's some um, this was the first i believe the first year where we went through uh normally in the environmental review process there's submission for environmental review but then also as a follow-up there could be an archaeological survey that's done um and so and that goes out to tribal entities is one of the entities it goes out to and this year um for each of those that we put out um, in the past, they'd come back, no request, and this year it came back with a request for that. So that changed our timeline a little bit. It's been a great process um, working through that and understanding more of what that entails and how it works. And it's my understanding that because that work has been done on a specific site, that at least any time in the near future, if something were to change, um, since that work has been done, it won't be required again if something were to happen at that site. Uh, but that that slowed us down um, for attendance to homeowners by a couple months, and then um, at one of those sites, there's also work being done where we will, um, we pulled a demo permit to remove a house that's there on a much larger lot so that we can put six up. So that's the Michigan one. Um, so we're just kind of going through the timelines on those processes, of course, always a little bit longer than we would, would hope, but um, there's, um, it's all in motion. All right. All right. And then uh, last but not least, Douglas County Housing Authority year-end report. Any comments on that? Yeah, the only the only comment I would make is that um, when the Lawrence Community Shelter stopped taking families, that really significantly changed that program. And so we've been working with Family Promise and trying to identify uh, additional households that we we can uh, help with those funds. And so we we. Uh, I think we're making progress on sort of getting referrals, but, but, you know, post COVID, it was sometimes difficult to find the families that we intended to serve through New Horizons. Thank you, Shannon. Go ahead, Dana. I have a question because uh, in the narrative, Shannon, that it mentions a certain number of households, but then in the data piece, it doesn't mention it. It's because those households had been reported in a previous report or What's what's the gap in there? Yeah, and I will confirm for you with that, Dana, but okay. I do believe so that it that it was because it's a 24 month 
program, then right, right, yeah, supported it. Yeah, because I do know we have a number of households in the program. Thank you. All right, no other comments. I'd just like to thank uh, all the folks that do this work. Uh, felt not only fill out the reports, but actually, you know, are the boots on the ground doing the work. It's good things going on in our community, and it's it's good to be part of that. So, thank you once again. All right, with that, um, I don't think there's any votable action on that, so we'll move on to item D updates. So we have the Affordable Housing Trust Fund Committee updates, and I believe the only committee we have is the NOFO committee. So, I, Monty, I will give the update based on the okay. group. Um, so this is Sarah Waters with KU. Um, so that was a group that we'd asked for folks to, to be on. Um, and so Monty, Leah, Dana, and I met in January just to discuss what the NOFO looks like and some of the things that we've all talked about as feedback um, after uh, the different funding cycles. And so um, we talked quite a bit about the scoring matrix, as well as the application process and, and how they fit together, but also what we perceive to be some subjectivity um, in how people do scoring. And some of the things don't necessarily on our rubric or our matrix right now align with um, what comes in in the applications. So talking about how we could align that. Um, and, and honestly, some of them are a yes or no. Um, answer, but also for the board members, especially as we know we've cycled on a lot of new members to understand if something's shovel ready, should that get a higher score than something's conceptual um, or even what those leverage ratios look like um, and some different pieces. So talked about um, the education that our board needs going into an application and a funding cycle. Um, ultimately, we're gonna do a lot of this work at the retreat. Um, and so, and and the conversation we just had, I think about the annual report and Shannon's comments of looking at where the data points and the goals we've had and where we're at. What our hope as our smaller committee was is that that would start informing what our next application looks like and what we're putting out in either a notice of funding opportunity, but maybe delving in and going a little tighter into a request for proposal. So we were very specific potentially about the one to three or five, how many ever it is goals that we want specific proposals for, for that funding application. Um, overall, our priorities, we feel um, have to be where we align, obviously, and where we're doing funding. And I think sometimes people are asking what the priorities are. Um, or looking at it as their own interests and priorities and thinking those should be everyone's. So talking about how some of that alignment or the subjectivity of a board member holding a certain seat should get a voice um, as part of the overall discussion. We did talk quite a bit about um, AHAB and um, whether or not continuous requests for funding annually should, should we look at those? Should we have some type of guidelines regarding continuous year after year? applications that are very similar? Um, or should we look at sole source projects differently? So just to weigh that out a little bit. Um, and then looking at the notes. Um, <laughs> I don't know, this is a lot. It was a lot. And I know I'm, I'm hurrying. Mm -hmm. I think those are the big pieces. Um, but ultimately, going to do it at the retreat is really what it came down to, to try to get consensus. And then maybe we'll need to meet again. But I think a lot of that work will happen behind the scenes. Dana or Monty, anything major I missed there? 
That was a heck of a summary. Yes, thank you, Sarah. Nice job. <laughs> Leah took notes, so that was amazing. So it's helpful. So. All right. Any questions, comments on that? Okay. Thank you, Sarah, for that report. Very well done. I would agree. Okay. Uh, land development code update process and engagement opportunities. I believe that uh, Trent and Jeff would be, Trent is our representative on that, uh, Ahab representative on that committee. And then Jeff Crick with the city. I'm going to probably get your title wrong. That's okay. I've got like 10. Director of planning or is that right? Close? Director works fine. Okay. <laughs> and I'll, I'll okay. defer to Trent. So if he wants to kind of lead off into that one, I'll definitely defer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Trent Santee, I'm Lawrence Home Builders uh, rep. Um, with the, the code steering committee, uh, we're kind of in the second phase. They've got four main phases. They've, they've uh, done a really good job of, of listing all this stuff out and trying to organize this data because as you can imagine, it's a massive amount of information. Um, but we're still in what they would call the code assessment phase. We're kind of wrapping up that phase. But this in our last meeting, we essentially just we're still talking about the current code and like transitioning from that and, and, and stuff that's like just changing definitions or zoning names and how you kind of um, label things even or and how, how we can take stuff that we like from the current code and, and transition that into the new stuff. And so um, they've been really big on getting public feedback and, and reaching out and having comments. So if you guys get an opportunity to look at this stuff, they are taking comments from everybody. So don't feel uh, bashful or like I, I, as your representative, I need to speak for you. They, they want everybody to comment as much as they can because they're, they're really um, trying to gather data is the vibe I got out of it. Um, uh, moving forward, the big things um, that, that I saw that affected affordability and, and Ahab uh, personally was, seemed like there was a, a really big focus on infill development and um, just updating the code and making the code more practical for that process. I feel like uh, the, the community has has kind of taken that stance and uh, plan 2040 has kind of said, hey, look, we're going to focus on infill, but that the code didn't really match that. And so we've kind of had a stagnant development process the past few years where, where people were like, you know, how do we do infill when the code wasn't really set up for that? And, and what do those changes mean? Um, some of the big concerns that I noted were that that's in my mind, and I feel like a lot of people agree that um, density and infill and stuff, it should be our priority. It didn't seem to match um, necessarily the market-driven side of things for me. Um, I think single-family uh, homes has been our strongest market and our strongest growth pattern historically. And um, I think we need to find a way to marriage that with the density to where it can work together because right now I don't think they're working together. Um, one of the big notes uh, for that density talk is kind of essentially changing all of uh, kind of standard commercial zonings to mixed use zonings, which again, um, I think gives us more opportunities to do stuff, but at what pace, you know, at what, when, when will a, an old strip mall get torn down and be rebuilt with apartments on top of it? And then who will those apartments cater to? Um, so I think we're going to have to continue to kind of stick our hand in the mix and say, hey, look, these these look like projects that could be coming to Ahab's board in the future. They could be LIHTC projects, but we, we don't really 
they're not shovel ready. They're not things that we can implement now. And so I think that's going to be a big uh, point of contention um, moving forward is, is how do we focus on um, getting volume, getting, getting units in production now. One thing I, I really can't add too much of what Trent said, he kind of covered quite a lot very quickly there. Um, the one thing I will add is that uh, this is the second phase of the code assessment that we're going through. This is really kind of that diagnostic document. Let's see where everything isn't connecting, what's not linking up, what's what's broken or what has just never made sense at the very beginning of it. What we're going to start right now after the kind of assessment wraps is we're going to start writing what's called the drafting phases that comes in three installments. And they, they call them modules is the best way to think of them. Module one is about the zoning districts and the uses. Module two is the development standards. So uh, think landscaping, parking, those kind of things. They kind of fold into that one. And then module three, which is a personal favorite of mine, is uh, procedures. When do we do a special use permit? When do we do a site plan? I'm showing my entire nerd side here, I think, at this point in time, because we're talking about the things that nobody wants to talk about. But it really is thinking about what does our development procedures look like? How do those dovetail into it? How do we meet the state statutes that come out of it? So really, we're in that very first module, which is zoning districts and uses. And it's really thinking about... Um, Kind of like Trent said, what does those programs look like? Do how do we do those conversations about density? What do the base districts behave to? Are there um, certain uses that we want to make that are not in there now, make them permissible or make them special uses. So I encourage you all to stay engaged. I encourage everyone to stay engaged throughout this process. And if you'd like more information, it's on our website at lawrenceks.org/ldc. And that is all online. You will see all the documents that are coming through, all of the module revisions that will be up there as they start to come online. But um, greatly love to have input throughout the process, including in the code assessment, which you can comment directly online to the PDF, which is a very fancy bit of technology I did not know existed until just we went through this. So um, be happy to answer any questions about the process or um, Trent, did I miss anything that I probably should have talked about? <laughs> no, um, uh, that's great. And like you said, there's, there's lots of talk about procedure and just um, lots of definitions and things that overlap each other that I'm just trying to get kind of straightened out. Okay. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I just wanted to bring everybody's attention to this document that I have pulled up so that you can see it really is cool um, how you can go in and look at the assessment and provide comments right into the document. And you can see other community members' comments as well. And so um, the link is on the agenda and I would just encourage any interested members to go through and review the assessment and to provide your comments. Um, and then here is the website for the Land Development Code update with background information and additional resources. Thank you. Any other comments on this topic? Monty, if I may, this is yeah, Karen ahead, Willey, Karen. County Commissioner. Um, I would just say that the, the good that AHAB can do through the process of the Land Development Code is probably far more than the dollars we will ever get to spend. So I would really encourage every person to be as deeply involved as they can possibly stand in what Jeff has rightly called a somewhat nerdy process. But there's <laughs> there's a lot of, of impact that that document has on what our 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 community is able to do for housing. So definitely the policy side of things is, is highly important. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Well-spoken as a former planning commission. 
remember. <laughs> um, okay, any other comments? All right, we're going to move on to the housing and homeless community plan, which I think, Leah, you're going to cover that. Yeah, thank you. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I'm just going to share this and, again, provide a very high-level overview. And um, just to offer very brief background information, um, there, uh, a couple years ago, a group of county, city, nonprofit, and other housing and homelessness stakeholders began to meet. And um, the first objective and role was to um, help lead the process for the assessments that were done, the supported housing assessment and the homelessness community assessment. Um, we took those assessments and used the data from that in order to inform a strategic plan addressing homelessness and affordable housing needs. We're developing a five-year strategic plan with the goal of having a framework that addresses homelessness and the need for affordable housing solutions throughout the county. The objective of the plan is to create policy system and environmental changes um, that result in all residents having access to the fundamental rights of safe, accessible, attainable, and affordable housing, and in which homelessness is a rare and brief occurrence. And so our strategies go until 2028. Um, within the plan, there are different subgroups or focus areas of which affordable housing is just one. And so I put up here the affordable housing spe specific objectives. So increased supply of affordable rental housing for 30 to 60% AMI by 1,500 new units, increased supply of affordable home ownership housing by 400 new units, develop a longer term housing strategic plan as one of our goals so that we want to be creating a 10 year strategic plan and then do that every, every 10 years, we need a new longer term housing plan. And then establish system changes that realign power imbalances, preventing access to or development of affordable housing. And so within each of these objectives, we have strategies and timelines, et cetera. Um, just wanted to provide the timeline and next steps for the AHAB so that you can see points for involvement and um, where you'll be able to provide additional feedback. So we're finalizing the plan in February. Um, in March and in April, we will present the initial plans to the city and county commissions that will go to the county commission the last week of March and the city commission the first week of um, April. We will do community presentations, community conversations, and feedback sessions in April and May, and would really encourage um, AHAB members to get involved with those sessions. And we will take that feedback and make any updates and modifications to the plan, and then take it back to city and county commissions in June with updates and to seek final approval, and then begin implementation of strategies in July. So um, the intent really is for this to be a larger community-wide plan addressing homelessness and affordable housing strategies um, that the AHAB and other community um, decision-making bodies and boards and groups would align to. And so we did, um, for the affordable housing component, rely um, a lot on the supported housing assessment, the 2018 market analysis that was done and aligned with AHAB goals, um, at least the 
as outlined in that housing assessment. So um, any questions about the work that's being done there? And, and I would just note that um, Monty, Erica, Shannon, Dana um, are also heavily involved in this process and could take any questions. All right, any comments, any additional comments on that? Okay, thank you. So we will move on to the fourth item, Affordable Housing Trust Fund Balance and Affordable Housing Advisory Board CIP budget item. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. I have uh, just um, some updates and then some items for the AHAB to consider and come back in March and make decisions about. So, um, Let's see. So the first number is um, uh, trust funds that we have um, in reserve balance that could be requested to be moved into the expense budget. That could either be requested for 2023 or could remain in reserves and be requested to move over in 2024. It's um, 1.985. So that's, that's the amount that could possibly be used for around two 2023 or for moving over into 2024. So almost 2 million, a little under 2 million. Um, in addition to that, um, the AHAB, as you recall, in 2022 put a CIP um, request in that was approved. And um, so there's an additional $500,000 that the AHAB has for 2023 for a CIP item. And in the CIP, approved CIP that is categorized as land acquisition for private-public partnership, but a different expenditure type that supports affordable housing would likely be you know, considered approved by the city commission with a recommendation by the AHAB. So with both of those together, the potential total additional affordable housing project funds in 2023, potential depending on how the AHAB would like to utilize the funds in reserve or uh, 2.485. So this is what um, I would like for the AHAP to consider. And um, again, perhaps have some discussion here today and then come back for decisions in March. So the first is how much of any trust funds and reserves should be requested for use in 2023? So how much of that total um, 1.985? Um, and then the second item to be considered and then decided upon at the next meeting, if at all possible, are ideas for the process and projects for CIP and trust funds. And some possible recommendations um, are, I'm going to just outline four possible recommendations. So one would be combining the CIP or all and all or some of the trust funds and balance to open up a second round 2023 NOFO supporting all or a more narrow and specific focus towards the AHOP goals. So it could, you know, just be another big um, NOFO process similar to what we did in the first round, or it could be, you know, for more specific types of projects that the AHOP would like to see. 
Two, you could, um, the AHAB could recommend to utilize a CIP to purchase land for the community land trust for future housing development. So separate the, out those two buckets of funding instead of combining them and use a CIP to purchase land. Um, or, or something else. Uh, three, issuing a NOFO for some or all of the trust funds and an RFP for a specific project for CIP funds, such as infrastructure. And I just want to note that there's 500,000 in the CIP, and that will not go far for infrastructure. <laughs> it, it, it will do just a, uh, just a little, you know, it, it'll help, but just a little bit. <laughs> and, and we could probably get some more um, um, estimates on that, but um, if the AHAB looks at, for instance, the um, memo that was brought to the AHAB, I believe last year with available um, lots for the city of Lawrence and the infrastructure costs, it's in the ballpark of like five to 10 million to bring infrastructure to those sites. So when you're looking at 500,000, just consider how far that could actually go. Um, and then finally, um, the AHAB could leave the trust funds in reserve until 2024 and then do one bigger round in 2024 and have many more funds to allocate. So um, thank you for letting me outline that. And Monty, I will turn it back over to you if there, unless there are any other questions. <laughs> okay, thank you, Leah. Um, well, let me first open it up to anybody that has questions. Yeah, go ahead, sir. Sarah Waters and KU, it would be really helpful to me if we could get this in an Excel document to show those different buckets of money and also what the tax, like the trust fund allocation that we were already knowing we we're like conservatively going to have for this round of funding later this year. Right? Because we also heard about home, like this grant through home today that I know is different, but it's also more than a million dollars. And so I just feel like some kind of unified document to see that all of that would really help my mind um, understand because that is a lot of money that we want to be impactful with. So, um, and that would help me in terms of figuring out or helping to recommend what the funding cycle should be or how to move forward. This is Leah Rosen, Affordable Housing Administrator. I'm happy to put that in a document. It will only be two numbers. The 2020, we already allocated, we already did the 2023 round. And so the next round of like general trust funds that you were describing, Sarah, that would be for 2024. And we won't know that or have a good estimate until the end of 2023. And so I could stick in the 2023 number and just note that that's an estimate based on last year's collected tax. Is that what you would like? Yes, I would okay. like that. I just, because okay. it was, it's just a lot of money, right? And that, and so I just want to, so everybody can see it. And also what you talked about in terms of the, like the 500,000 and, you know, can go to infrastructure, like those types of details that can only be sent on, just as a unified document, I think would just help everybody. Cool. Thank you. Other questions? I, Go ahead. Uh, Phil Englehart, I, I had a question on the, uh, the C, CIP, the, the 500K. Uh, so it, I, you know, I, my wife and I look at the CIP pretty closely, but I, I must have missed this particular item. 
does it have a project number assigned to it already? And if it if it does, I, I, I'd like to understand better about what could potentially be done with, with with those funds. I mean, when you're floating bonds, there's obviously some some limitations to start with. But are there additional limitations that that I don't understand? If does that question make any sense, Leah? This is Leah Rosen, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, yes, thank you, Phil. Um, and, and I will state the project number now, but I'm also happy to send that out. It's AH-23-0001. And in terms of the, you know, guidelines for spending, really, it, it should align with the description, with the purpose that is in that CIP item. Um, it, so essentially, it conforms to what it, the commission approved it for. Any deviation from that will need to go to the city commission for approval. And um, in the, so... It, also, just a little bit more background uh, about the CIP item. When the AHAB moved to submit this, it was very general. So it, it's the specific recommendation is that the city of Lawrence set aside $500,000 in capital improvement funds to be used exclusively in support of affordable housing projects to be presented to the city by the AHAB. So essentially the AHAB asked for money, asked for money as a placeholder for a project that then the AHAB would go back to the commission and seek approval for the specific project. So right now uh, it was categorized under land acquisition and the line item, but it's fairly flexible as long as it's supporting affordable housing develop or afforded house affordable housing, the AHAB gets um, approval from the commission. Okay, thanks. Any other questions, comments? All right. Seeing none, thank you, Leah, for that report. And we'll look forward to having the additional data that Sarah requested. Uh, we'll move on to calendar. Um, I don't think we need to cover those line item by line item. I'm going to let you read those. Um, Short of that, I think we're ready to adjourn. Monty, uh, this is Christina Jen. Uh, uh -huh. Just wanted to provide an update um, okay. while we have to. Um, I know that we had some discussions stemming back from March 9th and 2020, um, an agenda discussion about source of income discrimination. Um, we did that same year in November, had that same discussion. Uh, so it's been an ongoing conversation. Um, and tomorrow, February 14th, um, over our, our city, our city will consider adopting ordinance number 9960. Um, Amending city code of chapter 10, which includes protections against discrimination based on source of income. Uh, so I would encourage those who can to come out to city hall to the reading and, and come out ready to, to support expanding housing protections to include a source of income if you're available and if you can do that this Valentine's Day. That's all. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Christine. That was that was good. Uh I was at the last meeting at the original hearing and it was, it was a energetic meeting. We'll just say mm -hmm. that. So, but mostly positive. 
any other comments before we close? I'm sorry, I didn't open that up for new business. That was my bad. So any other new business, other reports? Okay, seeing none, we're adjourned. Thank you. Fair.